Welcome back to Beyond the Talk, a podcast formed in conjunction with the independently organized event TEDxUF, determined to dive deeper into the talks you know and love. I'm Apeksha. I'm Zoe. We're back again to talk about pop culture, and this time it's something that we both absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. We love it so much, and it's Big Hero 6. Woo woo! I know, I'm really excited for this. But before we get started, we're going to give you a little summary of everything we know about it, which um, just to give you guys a little heads up in case you forgot, um, because that's what I'm going to assume and that you guys actually haven't not watched it. That's not grammatically correct. (laughs) And if that is the case, don't tell me. Go watch it right now. Pause this right now. Go watch it. I'll wait. Okay, welcome back. And now we're back. (laughs) Before anything else, I want to talk about what it actually is. So in 2014, Big Hero 6 was created. It's an American animated superhero film. It's produced by Walt Disney Animation Studios, and it's loosely based on the superhero team of the same name by Marvel Comics. So it's created by Man of Action, and Big Hero 6 premiered at the Tokyo International Film Festival in October 2014. And then later, it was released in the U.S. in November. So to go over the entire plot itself, Zoe, can you do that for us? Yeah. So yeah, another spoiler alert here, um, because I'm really, I'm really gonna, I'm gonna dive deep. (laughs) All right. So our protagonist here is named Hiro Hamada. He's a 14 year old, um, half Asian, half white, half Japanese, specifically half white. Uh, robotics genius and he's living in the futuristic city called San Francisco. The movie opens up and he's spending a lot of his time using his robotic skills in illegal robot fights, uh, which gets him in jail at one point. Um, and he has an older brother named Tadashi who takes him to the research lab at the San Francisco Institute of Technology where he meets Tadashi's entire gang of friends who will come into the story later on. He decides he wants to enroll, signs up for a science fair and presents his project, which are these microbots, which are tiny little robots that you can link together in any formation that you want. And it's all controlled by a neurocranial transmitter. We love a scientist. <laughs> we stand. We stand a scientist. And during this science fair, we see Hiro trying to decide his future. So he gets an offer from a CEO of a tech company to market the microbots, as well as the the president of the university, like the dean of the university, who accepts him into the school. So he's he decides to go the route of the university. And at the end of the science fair, a fire breaks out amongst all the exhibits. And Tadashi rushes in to save Callahan, who is the dean of the university. And the building explodes and it kills Tadashi. Hashtag very sad. It was the saddest moment of my life. It was so (laughs) upsetting. I cried so much. Yeah. Do you remember crying? um, I definitely did not cry. (laughs) (gasps) What? I I felt sad. I didn't have to cry. (laughs) You robot. You should see a Pegasus face. (laughs) I'm appalled. How dare you? Did not cry, but definitely very sad. And just to preface that, they're already orphans. Tadashi and Hiro are orphaned at the beginning of the film. They're being taken care of by... The mother figure who is their aunt, Aunt Cass. So already not a great situation. And then Hiro loses his older brother. So he's in mourning for both Callahan and Tadashi's deaths. And he inadvertently activates Baymax, which is this inflatable healthcare robot that his older brother had created. Basically a personal healthcare provider. It follows you around. It responds to the word ow. (laughs) So cute. And to give you an idea of what its physical form is like, it's like a less ripped Michelin man. Um, a puffier Pillsbury Doughboy, uh, a really cute dude. 
my God. <laughs> can you just the whole podcast? Can you just give describe Baymax in different ways? Because um, I'll I'm listen out to of it. Ideas. Yeah. Sorry. Damn. And the two basically find one of Hero's old microbots and they follow it to an abandoned warehouse where they discover that someone has been mass producing Hero's microbots, you know, illegally, <laughs> had stolen his idea and was mass producing his invention. And they're attacked by a man wearing a mask and who's in charge of these microbots. And Hero decides that he's going to assemble a team to try to take down this guy. And that team ends up being all of Tadashi's friends that he had met earlier in the film. The names of the friends are Gogo, Wasabi, Honey Lemon, and Fred, if you want a quick laugh. (laughs) So the group makes it their mission to track down this masked man, and they eventually find out that he is Callahan. Um, And in this confrontation, they find out that Callahan had stolen and used Hiro's microbots in order to shield himself during the explosion at the science fair, and he had left Tadashi to die. So Hiro is understandably ticked off and decides to use Baymax to his advantage by removing his healthcare chip and tries to basically kill Callahan outright. Doesn't work because the chip is reinstalled, thank the Lord. But Hiro still decides that he wants to avenge Tadashi, so we see a lot of... You know, Hero's a teenager and he's kind of wrestling with all these different emotions and we see him kind of going through that with Baymax by his side and eventually gets to a point where Baymax comes in and says vengeance is not what Tadashi would have wanted and they decide to kind of reframe how they're going to carry on his older brother's legacy amongst other plot points that remain later on. But towards the end of the film, we see Baymax sacrificing himself for Hero's livelihood, as well as the benefit of the other people around him. And at the very, very end of the film, Hero ends up holding on to Baymax's healthcare chip and is able to reconstruct Baymax's body, and they're able to continue their superhero adventures throughout the city of San Francisco, which is great. An emotional roller coaster, if you will. Quite the emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And believe it or not, that was not even the entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's talk about some of these plot points the things that we liked about the film Apexia you start there's so many plot points that I just absolutely love and it's not even like the big parts it's like these little tiny scenes Mm -hmm. that are so unbelievably hilarious or heartwarming that it just hits my soul okay hits you right in the feels hits you right in the feels I think one of the best parts like funny wise Mm -hmm. is when Baymax is running out of charge and he's like on like low battery yeah and he's literally just essentially drunk (laughs) he's just like walking around he's like we jumped out a window like that kind of that part is so funny it's hilarious and i really like that part um just because it was so authentic in the way that he was acting and it was just it was hysterical because obviously like he's can't stand up straight Mm -hmm. and he's Falling rapidly about deflating. Rapidly deflating. It's so cute. Yeah. Just like imagining. I'm sorry. I just remembered him like when he's at the very end of his like because he's deflating obviously, and um at the end of his like deflation and he's like at like one percent. He mm-hmm. just looks so tiny and like adorable. And then they finally recharge him. But that's a really great part. And then obviously I think like one of the most heartbreaking and the one that like really stuck to me was Tadashi's death. Like mm-hmm. that was that was really intense. And then Hiro's I guess journey where mm-hmm. he's trying to deal with that grief. The way that he reacts to it is so genuine and so relatable. Mm-hmm. Just like any grief that you go through, like you relate to how he reacted. So I really felt that in my heart, like that really, yeah. it really found a place in my soul that <laughs> will never leave. So, but yeah, what about you? What were your favorite parts? Oh man. 
Did I steal them all? Kind (laughs) of. I was going to talk about the drunk sequence. I really liked the first intro to all of Tadashi's friends because it's a really diverse group of characters, um, but they were all doing something that's that was really, really cool. So they all had their own like niche little experiments. Exactly. in within the field of engineering, which was really cool. Like uh, Honey Lemon is the character. She's a female Latina um, and yes. she's a chemical engineer. And I think her her tool was it's an engineered chemical reaction that she invented and it's inside a love heart shaped purse. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. So I thought things like that were really cool, like um, seeing that they weren't given weird stereotypes to distinguish themselves, um, but rather they were distinguished based on their own merits was really cool. But they were still showcasing all the diverse differences, which was really, really neat. Gogo is the Asian woman. I think she is of Korean heritage. She has purple streaks in her hair. Um, she wears all black. And I don't know if this would be considered like mechanical engineering, but she uses disc technology to be able to move at lightning speed and throw these discs to disarm enemies. Like <laughs> She's so cool. She's so cool. She's everything I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have Wasabi, who's a really buff dude. <laughs> He's an African-American guy. Again, a certifiable scientific genius and just like a giant teddy bear essentially is how he's characterized. Yeah. And then Fred and I cannot for the life of me remember what Fred does. (gasps) What? You don't remember Fred? No. Okay, I can tell you. Fred is the, he's the really, really rich guy. Um, Oh, But he like, he seems like he has like nothing to give. He's just kind of like there and he's the friend. And then you find out later that he has this huge mansion. That's Yes, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, and he has yeah. like the the technology. Like he's basically funding everything. His parents and- are like superheroes too, right? Wasn't yes. That- yeah. Did you did you see the last like yes. s- sequence where you yeah. find out his dad is Stanley? And they come in. We have a lot of things to talk. <laughs> Such a good scene. Yeah. Such a good scene. Yeah. Like so. I said, that's literally the entire movie. It's like every little scene is so well thought out mm-hmm. and so hilarious and heartwarming. Like that's. That's literally the only things I can think of. Yeah. They're so good. And please watch it if you haven't. Yeah. But now that we've given a bit of a summary, why don't we talk about some key themes within the movie that really related to us and that really spoke to us. Mm-hmm. So I want to start out with what you brought up earlier is this blend of cultures. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that? I love it. I'm super freaking biased um, <laughs> as a half Japanese person I really <laughs> resonated with the characters yes um, but I thought it was really cool the whole concept of San Francisco as you know the city that they're living in is a, a literal representation of east meets west um which was really neat um it was also I mean beyond just like the cultural blend it was also a blend of technology with the world that we know right now so we see like you know like the Japanese pagodas but it's also blended with San Francisco architecture but it's also blended with like flying cars you know like <laughs> exactly a really really cool mix so it looked very familiar but also futuristic which is the cool part where intense animation came into play which was really neat yeah like you said they're trying to create this blend mm-hmm. of two cultures and it's not just two I think it like you can see it even in the characters, like everyone is so diverse and they're bringing in their own aspects of who they are into not only like their character, but also the plot. Mm-hmm. And that in itself like shows how how important this movie is because it's like, it's a way to represent all of us in some way. 
And like you were saying, it's a way for all of us to relate. Just the whole idea of it is like it's supposed to feel like home in some way. And I think they did a great job. Like I really felt like I related to these characters in Mm -hmm. some fashion or another. And it was even cooler to see people that are that are my same skin tone that were doing so many amazing things in this movie mm-hmm. and almost representing who we are to other people. Yeah. Yeah. I also really enjoyed seeing the female characters as something more than a romantic plot point, which was really nice to see in like a Disney animation movie. Absolutely. Um, you know, two of the five in the group of friends were female engineers and they were on the same exact level as everyone else around them. No one was being reduced. Everyone was, you know, their intelligence was being upheld at the exact same level. And they all brought something to the team that was unique and that was interesting. And I also really liked that the two female characters weren't being pitted against one another um, yeah. for for being, you know, like not like the other girls. So we see Gogo, who is the bad girl. Yeah. And, you know, like rides a motorcycle, like all that kind of stuff versus the Honey Lemon, who is like the stereotypical, really girly character. Love pastels, always wears heels, that kind of thing. But that they don't, the writers didn't make that either character negative. They didn't try to portray them in a way that was like putting one down over the other, holding one's intelligence up over the other based on the things that they enjoyed doing, which was really, really neat. Yeah, it was really good. I like that, too. To kind of go off of that, I liked that the characters weren't defined by the fact that they weren't. How do I describe this? You know what I'm saying? Being female wasn't the main portion of their identity. Exactly. Like they weren't defined as women. They weren't defined as their gender. Mm -hmm. They were defined by who they are, like Mm -hmm. their characteristics. And it felt nice to see that because- Like you said, they weren't love interests. Like mm-hmm. they weren't there so that they were in love with a character later. It was because they were people. Yeah. And they were contributing to solving the problem. Which that being said, they did still absolutely empower them in the fact that they were women. So I'm pretty sure one of Gogo's lines that she says frequently throughout the film is like woman up as an alternative to man up. Yes. So they still have those themes of empowerment in there. They're just not number one, super in your face, and that's not the only reason they're there. They're not simply there to be a figurehead for female empowerment. Exactly. Yeah, they're there to show what empowerment gets, you know, the the future that we could see. Yeah, they're not just representations of something, they're actual people. Yeah, and I really liked how all the characters didn't have any weird (laughs) stereotypical behaviors attached yes and a lot of the reviewers who i was reading brought this up too like none of the characters had atrociously not funny accents none of them were engaging in activities that were very you know like stereotypical of their culture and even if they did it wasn't done in a way that was distasteful exactly yes uh we really like the fact that they were able to take aspects of who we are and not make them strange not make them strange not make them (laughs) if you will different (laughs) different (laughs) just like not real at all just not real yeah Yeah. just we we weren't i guess they weren't characters yeah you know what i mean They, they were people that you see every single day they weren't being exaggerated yeah i mean beyond what they were creating they were they were there they were there for their minds and they did it in a way that was embracing everyone who was going to watch the film. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I really love that about it. And kind of to go off of that, 
Well, not really to go off of it and more like go in the opposite direction of that because this is so happy and free. Why don't we talk about the idea of grief and, (laughs) you know, just casual, just casual transition. Because I thought that was a really big part of the movie Mm. and it was good to see that Big Hero 6 had shown grief in such a good way, in Mm. such an understandable way. So before I put my two cents in there i want to get your take on it what exactly how did you feel about the idea of grief and the theme of grief in big hero six when i first watched it i didn't process it that much as a film that talked about processing grief mm-hmm. i don't know why because now that like in hindsight it makes a lot more sense to me yeah um but when i first watched it, it was just kind of like a happy-go-lucky film i mean at the end everyone's happy so it seemed like a really predictable plot and i didn't really read into it as much as i should have but now that I've since rewatched recently and, you know, done the research for this, it strikes me how, how well it was done and how accessible it is to younger people who might be processing emotions that might not be as dramatic as losing like a father figure. It still provides like healthy coping mechanism ideas, which is cool. And obviously it's through the form of Baymax, which isn't necessarily the most accessible thing but you know I think one of the reviewers I have in here it's like it's a hug that can be felt through the screen so it it was a very compassionate look at dealing with grief yeah I thought that was yeah that was exactly what I was thinking it was the idea of the whole movie and what kickstarts everything is Tadashi's death Mm -hmm. and that in itself is what leads Hiro to go on this journey of stopping Callahan and it's so well thought out because Baymax in itself He's supposed to be a robot, but he is the most compassionate and the most understanding. And the and the way that he reacts to things is almost childlike in a way mm-hmm. and just so loving and doesn't really understand the negativity of the world. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's like a hug. It's like he was just such a good way of juxtaposing Hero's grief and his mm-hmm. and his way of like understanding Tadashi's death. I'm trying to figure out what Baymax symbolized because, I mean, in in a sense, like he was a way for Hero to deal with his grief. Mm -hmm. What do you think? What do you think Baymax symbolizes? In the things that I've read, Mm -hmm. um, he's like a literal representation of healthcare Mm. as as a whole. A lot of people compared it to like Obamacare. Oh, Um, wow. Really? Yeah. As a kind of like a direct representation of that. Just personalized healthcare in general like the the idea that you should be able like he's I think he's known as like a healthcare companion like that's how Tadashi described him yeah you know someone or a system that's always going to be there to pick you back up um, regardless of how invisible the illness or whatever else might seem anything as small as a cut to something like grieving for a loved one's death so he's supposed to be symbolic of healthcare which makes incredible sense to like universal health care yeah hmm. but i mean i don't know how accurate that is but no, that, that comes from a lot of different like sources that i have read no that's interesting because i i saw like i completely see what they mean mm-hmm. I, I also saw baymax as just like a representation of love and compassion yeah. and like just friendship mm-hmm. because that's who he is i mean he's supposed to be a healthcare companion but at the end of the day he's hero's friend yeah and he is what gets Hero through mm-hmm. his grief. He's constantly reaching out to him and saying, are you satisfied with your care? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's 
it's so funny the way he says that but mm-hmm. in a way like if you think about it it's like how your friends would reach out to you and say hey how are you doing yeah or like are you okay like how's everything and i don't think baymax just acts as a representation of fixing mm-hmm. your physical attributes but also fixing how he felt on the inside and like mm-hmm. his emotions and he did such a good job at it it was just especially the part where hero and baymax are in the vortex i think mm-hmm. and baymax tells him that he has to let go yeah and oh my god she's gonna cry right now it just was, for you for the content it was <laughs> i'm sorry it's just so <laughs> so well done (laughs) it's like the way that like he he you know how he like keeps telling him like you have to tell me that you're satisfied with your care Mm -hmm. like he keeps saying like you have to tell me and hero's like no i'm not satisfied i'm not satisfied (laughs) and hero's (laughs) and baymax tells him like you have to like he keeps just saying are you satisfied with your care Mm -hmm. and hero says yes and then he lets him go (laughs) oh my god oh my god that's (laughs) how do you not cry i don't understand it's so so beautiful like when he let go and he was like drifting off back into like the vortex i sobbed like i sobbed so hard okay he came back yeah but we didn't know that okay when you're watching the movie you're like well that's it baymax is right (laughs) well okay then it's like the have you seen inside out i have (laughs) it's really similar to the character of bing bong when Mm, they're um, when they have to like fly out of that like weird garbage dump kind of area where like all of her memories like that she doesn't need anymore like go to die basically yeah and happiness is that the name of the joy joy there we go and (laughs) when he has joy shuttle out of there in the wagons <laughs> and he doesn't tell and her waves goodbye i know and he doesn't tell her he's like we're both gonna make it and she's like okay and then she looks back mm-hmm. and he's still there he says something too and i forget and it's oh but yeah it's 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 along it's the same kind of thing it's the same kind of concept Baymax. except bing bong doesn't come back oops spoiler alert um <laughs> We told you there would be spoilers. <laughs> we told you. We just didn't tell you which movies. There was a part that I really liked. And it's after the initial, I think, when Hero first finds out that Callahan had caused or was the reason for Tadashi dying, where he, he initially tried to kill Callahan using Baymax. Yeah. And they have a scene where Baymax sits Hero down and shows him videos of Tadashi's process in creating Baymax because it's all on video and shows him that even through trials and tribulations, Tadashi was still benevolent and compassionate and left behind a legacy that Hiro should aspire to, which was a really touching moment and uses that to kind of flip the switch from Hiro grieving through angry outburst and wanting vengeance to kind of a more like problem solving approach um, and one where he actually begins to work through the emotions of dealing with a death of a loved one because up to that point he hadn't really thought of it beyond just i have to avenge his death it wasn't a lot of like internal processing so that scene is where baymax comes in and initiates that process and it shows kids who are watching it healthy coping mechanisms and working through your emotions is a good thing and it's going to result in good yeah i think it's also important that they show that dealing with your grief, confronting it, 
is good and it's normal and that you should do it. Mm -hmm. And you see that Hero doesn't, he de like you said, he doesn't really deal with it and he doesn't really understand it. He tries to like push it back in the back of his head mm -hmm. until he see sees Baymax and he sees how Tadashi creates him. Mm -hmm. And that in a way is helps him become, I don't know, like find a way to accept his death. Yeah. And and even when it's not death, even if it's like grieving something else, healthcare as a whole encompasses your emotional health. It mm -hmm. encompasses your mental health. And you shouldn't leave it behind thinking that it's not as important. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the entire concept of catering this towards coping mechanisms for younger people, specifically teenagers, because Hero is a moody teenager. Like, that's how he's kind of portrayed. That's his character. Everything revolves around the fact that he's a teenage kid. He's about to start this new life, and then this happens. So it's not a journey with, you know, a an adult who knows themselves and knows how to articulate their emotions. You're dealing with a character who's never seen this kind of stuff before. This is the first time they're ever dealing with emotions that are that strong. Um, and how do you do it when you have a million other things that are about to change in your life? Yeah. So let's switch into something a little more positive. Don't want to end on that. Well, I, I would if I could, but we have one more <laughs> point to get through. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we wanted to talk about the kind of overarching idea of the film, which is that anyone can be a superhero, which is, you know, super empowering, super uplifting, all the good adjectives. Throw them in here right now. <laughs> But yeah, I, I really liked it because this film was loosely based on a Marvel comic with the same team name or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's the same name. Yeah. And a lot of these Marvel comics, like characters that we know and we love, a lot of them have money to make their superhero means, you know, come to life. So people like Iron Man and pretty sure like the Hulk and like all these like grand scientists have like tons of money that they can use for their like technological innovations. Whereas in Big Hero 6, it's young people using literally their brains and their creativity to put something together. Granted, Tadashi's friends were using like the benefits of a university. But when you see Hero, Hero's a like a 14 year old who's using his own means to create things that are revolutionary yeah, um, and that ultimately result in them being able to form a team that's able to combat evil, which is a really cool message to send. It's that you don't have to be rich. You don't have to come from a certain area. You don't have to be a specific type of person to be a superhero. And that can, you don't have to be a certain type of person to be an engineer or to be, you know, really good in any field that you decide to pursue. Yeah, exactly. There is no label of what a superhero can be. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about this whole diversity concept. The fact that they show that a superhero doesn't look a certain way mm -hmm. and doesn't have to wear a certain mask. It's important to show that not only to us as like adults, but also to children mm -hmm. that their face can also be the one that changes the world and that does something that makes a difference you don't have to be a superhero by having big muscles or yeah. getting bit by a radioactive spider that <laughs> changes your life forever you can be like hero you can just be a kid mm -hmm. who just likes to learn and who wants to create and wants to apply everything that he knows and it's the idea of like experimentation and wanting to try something new mm -hmm. That that's really important, not only just to us, but to show like younger generations that their their innovations matter mm -hmm. and they can be their own superhero in their own lives just by 
learning about stuff and understanding things and can be the person that creates these microbots or you could be the person that creates the next Baymax mm-hmm. which I would love even though <laughs> I wish Baymax existed <laughs> I know Zoe's skeptical she thinks that robots are evil <laughs> what? <laughs> what? remember last episode you were like what oh, because we were talking about Black Mirror what the <laughs> No, it wasn't Black Mirror. It was um, it was with Morgan. Remember, we were talking about robots at the end. Oh, oh yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> we followed that episode with Black Mirror, and now yes, I'm skeptical, <laughs> but I don't of of all robots that I'd be okay with. I think, <laughs> Baymax is, is Baymax is pretty the... much up there. Okay, what good. is he gonna do? What is he gonna do? Do's a puffball. Thank <laughs> you. How dare you bring his shape into this? He's a puffball. He's a inflatable. He's a, like a balloon. <laughs> I don't like your judgment. I'm not judging him. I'm letting you know that we're not going to die at the hands of Big Max. <laughs> I sure hope not. But yeah, I really do like the idea of superheroism mm-hmm. because... The newest ism. The newest ism. <laughs> I've created it. Patent pending. But yeah, I, I just... Yeah, it did a really good job about showing that that being a hero doesn't necessarily have to be superhero. Like, mm. you can be a superhero without having something super natural happen yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. I really liked how it also added to the the list of um, you know diverse superheroes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. The addition of wasabi in this particular film adds on to, you know, like the array of African-American or just, you know, black superheroes that we have. Yeah. And we also see, you know, a Latino woman playing a superhero as well as a ton of Asian-American characters being portrayed as superheroes, which is not something you see that often. Yeah. Um, and it's really cool to see it in the realm of not having to do anything extraordinary to get there, just being a good person and fighting for the common good, which is what a superhero is supposed to be in the first place. You hear that, kids? You can be a superhero, too. For all the the children listening to our podcast right now, it's eight and under. (laughs) I want you to know. We believe in you. Yep, you're welcome. And even the adults, we believe in you, too. It's not too late. (laughs) It's never too late. But on that note, I think we're going to have to end it here on the Big Hero 6, although I could talk about this for years. You My know me. My brain is melting, so I don't think. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But before we leave, we do want to give a quick announcement about TEDxUF things. <gasps> Zoe, what's going on? Oh my gosh. Okay, so <laughs> y'all know about our salon events. If you don't listen to, I believe um, it was episode two. To find out more about our salon events. Thank you. Um, but we have a new one coming up very soon. It's under the theme Smart Art, which is, you know, the merging of technology and art, which is really cool. Um, it's going to be happening on November 29th from 6 to 10 p.m. at the First Magnitude Brewing Company, um, which is a different location than both of the ones that we've had before. So keep that in mind. Um, the This event is going to be a little bit different than the salons we've had in the past because it's going to be merged with our very first TEDx adventure, obviously hosted by TEDxUF. Um, <laughs> so the very first portion of the event is going to be going from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, it's going to be pretty much exactly like the normal salons that we've had in the past. It's going to be a lot of discussion with some featured guests. And the second half, or actually throughout the entire time, I believe from the entire 6 to 10 p.m. range, 
is going to be a public art showcase. Um, so anyone can come. You don't have to apply to participate in the or you don't have to apply to attend the art showcase. Um, you can come in and out however often you please. So if you want to have your art showcased in our art showcase, funny how that works, <laughs> you can apply to have your art out there in the world shown to the Gainesville public. So if you do want to send in your work, apply. Um, the applications are on our Facebook page. Those are going to be closing November 19th at 11.59 p.m. Um, I believe we're looking for more traditional media, if you will. So things like poems you probably were not accepting I don't no believe. I don't think we are no yeah so traditional however you think of that I think it's just more like avoid stories more like visual I think yeah more visual if you want to submit any of your art apply by November 19th follow TEDxUF on all of our social media and please for the love of everything good leave us a rate slash review <laughs> please <laughs> wherever you listen to us um preferably apple Podcasts. we would super duper appreciate it thank you again to the j school and thank you to all of the listeners out there we love you i feel like i'm still screaming into a void but i know you're there <laughs> i know you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah so get excited for this lawn event coming out get excited for new episodes coming to you every single monday right Yes. Every single minute. <laughs> and yes. Thank you for listening. Have a fab day.